Kokomo Friday on the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast. We're still doing Kokomo Fridays. And Scott White, how are you feeling on this Kokomo Friday? I am feeling fine. I'm feeling fine. This this song is putting me at ease, <laughs> nice and relaxed, carefree, totally good. Yeah, I uh, I've been dealing with like it smells like like a bonfire in my apartment. Like, oh, just thought... very, very faintly. Mm. And uh, I can't feel... Like, I went and knocked on all my neighbors' doors and asked them. They also smell it, but nobody has anything okay. burning. All right, yeah. If you were just smelling it, I'd be worried. <laughs> MRI time, baby. <laughs> no, my wife smelled it first. She has a much uh, stronger sense of smell than I do. Yeah. I don't know. There might be, like, a, a crayon stuck in there from when I was a kid or something. But, <laughs> you know, not a lot gets through. Yeah. Um... <laughs> You know, but an actual burning smell, I guess, should be worrisome, too, in a different way. Yeah, I don't Hmm. know. uh, You know, because, like, when you live in South Florida, sometimes you get those days where it just, the Everglades are on fire, and so you just smell smoke. But I don't think the Everglades are that close to Williamsburg. Yeah. So I don't know what the answer is. It's been... uh, it's been a little confusing for me, but, you know, I'm, I'm ready. I closed the windows. I'm good. Uh, you got, got the fresh air circulating in my house from the air conditioner, so I'm good. Mm-hmm. I'm ready to talk about multiple players having Tommy John surgery, unfortunately. We're going to get to a bold prediction from one of our listeners. We've got some minor league news. Uh, teams have been sending guys down to AAA. I picked out a couple of the the more noteworthy names. We're going to get to your emails at fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Uh, we're going to go through our favorite picks from rounds 10 through 12. And next week, I think, we're going to do a fictional player draft. We're going to take fictional baseball players and we're going to draft fantasy teams out of them and see who is the best fictional baseball player of all time. Did we talk about this on the podcast or was it before we were recording? No, we were, we were just talking. We were just, you know talking before the podcast so, about yeah. it. Yeah, had some had some ideas. You know, the fictional baseball characters like for movies and such. Yeah, like, yeah, books, be... poems. I think Casey at the Bat was a poem, so we can go with that mm. one. Uh, yes. But, you know, what we want, send in your suggestions at fantasybaseball at cbsi.com so we can build out a player pool. We're going to do this draft. And then join our Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash fantasybaseball today. At some point... Hopefully next week, we are going to do an Ask FBT Anything podcast, and that's something that we want to do pretty regularly during this, uh, you know, at this point, extended offseason. You know, try to have some fun. You can ask us fantasy baseball questions. You can ask us questions about Adam's terrible taste in music. You can ask us questions about... Scott, did you see the comment in the group the other day of... It was a picture of a peep dipped in ketchup... Yes, I got tweeted that directly. As it was a matter the of fact. it was the most offensive thing I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. Though though the most offensive part of it was the ketchup. Just to be clear, yeah, ketchup is good 
on mm. burgers, yeah, on fries, mm. and sometimes on hot dogs, but very <laughs> sparingly. Like nothing grosses me out more than when I'm sharing fries with someone and they just pour ketchup on all the fries. Yeah. It just like, ruins everything. Ketchup is like mayonnaise and that it definitely has a function, but you don't want to taste it too much. You, uh, you just it, it needs to be kind of blended in with everything else. Hot take. I like mayonnaise more than ketchup. So mm. join the Facebook group. Ask FBT anything. We'll do that soon. And you can find out more about our opinions about ketchup and mayonnaise and, and peeps. But first, we're going to do our email of the day. Hey, Connor, Tiki, G-Baby, and Kofi. I believe that is from the movie Hardball, right? That was what it was called? With Keanu Reeves? Yes. Yeah. I think G-Baby's the one who dies. He sings the, the Taurus B.I.G. song. It's a, it's a very moving uh, scene. I, I actually like that movie. I haven't seen it in like 15 years, but I remember <laughs> liking it. I watched it way back in the day. Well, I was at work late at night <laughs> writing player updates for see back in the days when we wrote player updates sure. ourselves. Late one night I had it on TV and had you know, it was it was a little distracting. I don't know why I had it on, but that I, that is my experience watching Hardball. I watched most of the TNT show Falling Skies that way, just doing old doing those player updates. But yeah. we do have to actually talk about something real. Breaking news. Chris Sale will be going undergoing Tommy John surgery. And in other news, he may be ready for the start of the season. Sorry, just a grumpy baseball fan that misses the game. On a real no. note, what is Chris Sale's rest of career outlook after this injury? He'll be 32 by the time he sees a mound again. And there were signs of decline before this. How about his fantasy va- his dynasty value? Well, I, I think it's reasonable to assume he wasn't quite in, at full health last year. I mean, that's that's kind of why he had that delayed start to spring training. So I don't know how clear the signs of decline are. Last year was a, a very weird year, obviously, where it was like stretches where he looked totally overpowering and stretches where he looked way too hittable. And that's why he's been such a tricky player to evaluate. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful this explains much of that. 32 is getting up there. Uh, that's how old he'll be early in 2021. And yes, I assume by the time he's actually pitching in 2021, he'll he'll you know he'll have already he'll have already turned 32, and that's getting up there. But this is this is still a player whose whose track record is basically unblemished from the first time he became a starter. He was one of the best starters in the game. I I I think he's going to stay good late in his career late into his career, probably, hopefully, I shouldn't say probably, but hopefully give us three or four more good years after he comes back. Uh, I don't know that I'd necessarily be looking to buy him right now in a dynasty league, but I'd at least inquire because the sale owner might not, right now might be so frustrated that he's just willing to look to willing to dump him for whatever. And that's the scenario you want to capitalize on. I'm trying to find some... Who, who would you rather have in a dynasty league right now? I offer you Denelson Lamette for your Chris Sale. What do you say? I... I it would, it, look, it would depend to some extent on what my intentions were in 2020. Uh, 
how much 2020 I thought there was going to be. I I think I'd be inclined to do it. I generally I generally think long term with any dynasty move and I understand Sale being the older guy, how is that a long-term move? Well, obviously because we're punting on 2020 with him. But Donelson Lamette is mostly theoretical at this point. And when you have somebody as high-end as Sale, you don't... You prioritize that over something theoretical. What about Trevor Bauer for Chris Sale? Is that an easy one? Yeah, I think I'd stick with Bauer. In that scenario. I mean, Lamette was good. Lamette is pretty much right at that line if we're just comparing pitcher to pitcher. Okay, yeah. I mean, I have real questions about how Chris Sale's going to age, but you also have to counterbalance that with the fact that there have been people who have said he couldn't be a starter for about seven years, and they were pretty mm-hmm. much wrong all the time. I'm sure there's someone who in, like, 2011 said Chris Sale will never hold up as a starter who's doing a victory dance right now. But for the most part, he really <laughs> answered uh, any of those questions. And this is just normal. Yeah. Like, he's a guy who looks weird when he pitches. He's so skinny. It looks like there's so much torque on his elbow. But, I mean, you make it to 30 without having Tom yeah. John surgery. I mean, he, That's better he's, than he's nearly had a Hall pitcher. of Fame career already. I'm yeah. not saying if he retired today, he'd be in the Hall of Fame. But yeah, he has the anybody best, who, he has anybody the best who's saying, to walk ratio ever. Yeah, anybody who's patting themselves on the back right now for knowing the mechanics would eventually break down is, uh, is I think, missing the larger point. <laughs> yeah, but I do have a question about how he's going to age just because he does have a relatively limited repertoire. You know, last year we saw, um, you know, what old pitchers do as they age. Well, what pitchers do as they get older is they almost across the board with the exception of Bartolo Colon and Lance Lynn, basically. They throw their fastballs less and they rely on their secondary pitches more. In Chris Sale's case, that's what we started to see last year, and the swings and misses were still there, but he got hit really hard. And so I do wonder, uh, you know, whether he might reach a point of diminishing returns because it's really, he has a changeup, but it's really the slider and fastball. Uh, Last season, he used his changeup more but that was mostly out of necessity. I don't know if that's necessarily a great thing for him. So I'm a little worried about how he's going to look heading into his mid-30s. Um, so yeah, I I think I would rather have him in a dynasty league than Lamette, but that's because I'm just kind of skeptical uh, of Lamette ever actually turning into a thing. Um, the Red Sox don't really have any potential replacements who might be fantasy relevant this year, right? No, uh, this gives Colin McHugh a longer-term path in the rotation, and he's been fantasy-relevant off and on over the years. Really good in 2018, but that was as a reliever. He had like a 180 ERA and 11K per nine. Oh, he's... The years before that as a starter. I mean, the strikeout rates don't look good by our interpretation today, but uh, no, he was definitely... He definitely had helium Mm -hmm. those early years starting for the Astros. And if you go back and look at those few starts he had early last year with the Astros before moving back to the bullpen. I think he had it three starts with nine strikeouts or um, it, it actually was an, an interesting little run he had. I forgot all about it. How, how many good starts McHugh put together early last year. Mm-hmm. So I'm not totally writing him off, but he's coming off an elbow surgery himself. And of course the track record is spotty. Definitely a situation where he'll need to prove it before we're pursuing him in fantasy. 
Yeah, the other potential options who could join the Red Sox rotation, Brian Johnson, who's a former top prospect but hasn't really done much, and Ryan Weber. Uh, both of them struggled last year. I don't think there's much reason to be optimistic about those guys. Another guy who had Tommy John surgery, unfortunately, Tyler Beattie for the San Francisco Giants. He was someone who actually I liked uh, a decent amount as a sleeper. I think I included him in my deep sleepers after uh, 300 overall in ADP that I wrote earlier in February. Um, he's got really good secondary stuff, but he's going to be, he'll now be 28 the next time we see him probably, maybe 27, and, uh, you know, doesn't really have a track record in the majors to speak of. So uh, disappointing that we didn't get to see him pitch this year. I, I had some some excitement for him. Yeah, you weren't alone there. You weren't alone there. That he had three pitches with a really good swinging strike mm-hmm. rate, and that's if you have control, that's that's a really good setup, a really good foundation uh, for 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 being a successful pitcher. And and part of what's held him back over the years, he's a former first round pick, BD is, and part of what's held him back is just the Giants, with all the different regime changes, they kind of. Uh, Kind of confused him in terms of pitch selection. He kept emphasizing different pitches over others, and I, I think he was finally in a place where he understood what his best pitches were and what he needed to emphasize and was maybe poised to break out. Now it'll have to be another Frankie Montas situation where he's breaking out in his late 20s, and you can't say for sure he'll even get the opportunity at that point. All right, we've got a bold prediction from at Platinum Spur, who's sent to Adam Azer. Kyle Tucker becomes a 30-30 guy and plays every day. You know, I, I think we, uh, did we talk about the Kyle Tucker versus Luis Robert conversation yes. on the podcast I, recently? I believe we did. I believe so. And if you and... look at what they, what Tucker has done since getting to AAA and what Robert did last year, um, it's pretty close. You know, they're both right around 30 homers, right around 30 steals per 150 games. Uh, similar batting average. I know Tucker, there's a little bit of prospect fatigue with him because we've been hearing about him for, you know, this is now the third season when we were hoping that Kyle Tucker would become a fantasy-relevant player. Uh, and he wasn't as good at AAA last year. But he wouldn't be the first player to have to go to a, a level in the minors for the second time for no through no fault of his own and just kind of get a little bored with it. And he was, he was still really good. Like you say, he wasn't as good. He had a 30, 30 season. He hit 270 (laughs) is really the only disappointing thing about him. But between the majors and the minors, I think he had something like 38 homers and 34 steals or something like that. It was a really great season. He had, in September in the majors, Kyle Tucker was five for five and stolen bases yep. just in one month's time. And that's for a very what was a very sabermetrically inclined organization. I'm sure they still will be, but now they have Dusty Baker as their manager and he's more of an old school guy who might even be willing to let Tucker run all the more. But the point is he's already shown Tucker has that uh that he's willing and able of running in the majors, and that's that's part of the concern with Luis Robert is you just don't know what the White Sox are going to let him do. Right. Right. Don't know what he could that the stolen base totals are one of the least reliable going from the minors to the majors, because since minors are mostly about development, players are generally, 
well, I don't want to speak. I don't want to speak beyond my knowledge level, but it just seems looking at the numbers, and it just makes sense thinking it through. Players should be encouraged to run as often as they need to, just to see if that's going to be a viable part of their skill set. You know. Yep. But once they get to the majors, it's about winning, obviously, and and so it doesn't happen as much. Uh, I I'm not sure if you actually got to the the point between that you that you like to make between Tucker and Robert um but I generally agree with you if if we know Kyle Tucker is playing every day that's the biggest advantage Robert has over him right now is we know he's playing every day and nothing can happen without playing time but if we were assured Tucker was playing every day I would bet on him having better numbers than Robert too as I think you've said before that you would yeah I mean I I did a Twitter poll Um, this must have been about a week ago, which, you know, it feels like we've lived several years in the last week or so, but it was basically asking who had more upside, Luis Robert or Kyle Tucker. And most of the people said Luis Robert. And I just, I think people are kind of forgetting what Tucker's skill set is. It's entirely possible. We're talking about him a year from now as a potential first round pick. That's the kind of skill set he has. It's so conducive for fantasy value that uh, he could be a really special player. So 30-30 uh, as a bold prediction. A little bold, but not out of the question. Not at all out of the question. Nope, not at all. All right, some other news. Rich Hill still on track to return in June. That was someone we talked about uh, a little bit on Wednesday's podcast. And, you know, that might be opening day, as we said on Wednesday. So... That's a good, it's a good sign that he's, you know, improving as expected. Uh, some other news, series that were scheduled to be played in Puerto Rico and in, in San Juan, Puerto Rico and Mexico City uh, have been canceled. They will not be making those up. That's unfortunate. Um, email of the day number two from Chris, not me. Chris writes in, Adam, please do not perpetuate the corporate fabricated debate of Velveeta versus Kraft. They are both owned by the same company, Kraft. Also, the answer is obviously Velveeta. That's what I thought, actually. <laughs> I almost said it, but I wasn't sure. I just, so. they're not, in my mind, they're, I, we don't want to get too far into this, but they're not comparable in my mind. They're just, they're doing separate things. Right. It would be Have like Have you ever comparing... tried melting a Kraft single to make like... Yeah, it doesn't work. Nacho cheese or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's gross. I, yeah. And look, I like American cheese. On a burger, I think American cheese is the best possible burger. My grilled cheese is always one slice of Kraft Single, one slice of some Munster. So don't get me wrong. I like an American cheese. But, you know, it... it I don't. It's like comparing Kyle Tucker and uh, Luis Arias. You know, they're just... They're doing separate things. Maybe Nick Madrigal. You know, they're just doing separate things. <laughs> they're both baseball players. They're both cheeses. But they're in separate fields. Mm. All right, and then some other... Are they cheeses, though? American... I think American cheese is actually, like, cheese product. I don't think they, like... Velveeta definitely is. Yeah, I think they're not legally allowed to call it cheese. No. (laughs) That's why they call them Kraft Singles. Right. Uh, Some minor league news. The Braves option Tuki Toussaint to AAA. The Giants option Sean Anderson to AAA. That one actually... I think if you listen to our relief pitcher preview, I think he was the guy we mentioned as the likely Giants closer. So, uh, you know, what I've, what I've seen over the last month or so 
is that as long as Tony Watson is healthy, he's going to be the closer. Hmm. He just wasn't I had not seen yet. anything like that. And Gabe Kapler is notoriously non-committal yeah. about how he handles the ninth. But I, Tony Watson's the most established guy in that bullpen, so it would make sense. Yep. Uh, Orioles option Ryan Mountcastle to AAA. I mean, a lot of this is, you know, they're, they're not actually going to AAA. A lot of this is paperwork. But uh, Mountcastle, someone you mentioned in your column on CBSSports.com today about the, you did an all-rookie team. The, uh, mm-hmm. the players at each position who you think have the best chance to make a fantasy impact. Was he on the all-rookie team or was he, he, he was on the others receiving votes maybe? Nope, he was, he was the first baseman the first on the all-rookie team. Yeah, and uh, what you wrote about him, his debut is just a matter of finding him a position and his easy line drive stroke. Makes for a fine Nick Castellanos comp. Hit 312 last season with 25 homers. 871, eight, 871 OPS. That, was, that would have been a weird way to say a player's OPS. So, mm-hmm. um, he had a really good season, good fantasy potential. We'll see what happens as we get closer to the eventual start of the season, you know, whether they opt to actually break whatever. Would it be camp, break camp, go into mm-hmm. opening day with him whenever that does happen? Yeah. That's still a possibility. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't think I. I don't think it's a possibility, really, just because. Uh, I mean, Mountcastle was the uh, International League MVP last year, so even in a year where a lot of people were putting up big numbers, AAA, he was considered the most representative among them. He would have already gotten called up, I'm sure, if the Orioles weren't terrible, and <laughs> they're not really in a position where they need to force the issue there. But there's. It doesn't seem like there's a lot to gain from him being in the minors, so I suspect it'll be once they've secured that extra year of playing time uh, that he'll be up. Now it's it's questionable exactly how much time will have to pass because yeah, I mean that we I just don't they, know. What was that? We just don't know what the service time is going to look like. Right. That's being that's actually season. being negotiated. Yeah. That's part of the negotiation happening between MLB and the the players association because normally I think it's 182 games. 182, 182 days, days yeah. is a season. Is, right. And so if it's less than like 173 or something, I don't know the exact numbers, but it's that's why it it tends to happen around mid-April when a guy gets called up uh you know, the year of service time has already been the extra year has already been secured. So, uh, you know, it'll probably be less than, like, two weeks or whatever. But, you know, who knows if we'll even have a season, right? We will. I have faith. We will? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I if don't know. T- no, I don't know. I hope so. So, sure let's actually so. talk about your all-rookie team. It's not in the notes, okay. but let's get into it. Uh, let's go around the horn. Sean Murphy. Your top rookie catcher. Uh, where do you have Sean Murphy ranked? He's a top 10 catcher for you, right? I believe he is 12, uh, actually. Uh, Sean Murphy had 151 at-bats at AAA last season. Had a huge partial season. Uh, 964 OPS. Really good defensive player. I did this uh, prospects-only draft with Baseball Prospectus. Uh, I think it was 16 people. 
And he was my third round pick. And I was really thrilled to get them, him there because he's so close to the majors, even though he's a little older. Uh, but someone that you're drafting as a starting catcher for fantasy in 2020. Yeah, I mean, the athletics clearly have a lot of confidence in him. As they were fighting for a wild card spot down the stretch last year, they made him their primary catcher. So mm-hmm. that's that's rare. And high marks defensively, but he's really come around as a hitter the past couple of years. Has always had good plate discipline, good strikeout rate, especially. Uh, but he's the power is really he's really come into power the last couple of years. And his minor league track the, record actually looks pretty similar to guys like Danny Jansen and Carson Kelly, who we like as a. Uh, you know, sleepers this year. Yep. So it's a matter of staying healthy, partially. He's he's missed some time the past couple of years with injuries, but he should play a lot yeah. when he is healthy and yeah, should I be he, productive enough to be a worthy starter at that position. Yeah, he did have, I believe, knee surgery last season, dealt with a torn meniscus, and did have a cleanup operation this offseason. It wasn't a serious operation, but just something to keep in mind. He has had knee troubles First base, Ryan Mountcastle, as we already talked about. Second base, Gavin Lux. And he's a really interesting one. Uh, clearly, there's a lot to like about him. He was dominant. Uh, he was in double-A first, right, and put up huge numbers. It was before yes. he even got to triple-A with the juice ball. Um, yes. The only thing, the only quite well, there's two questions for me. There's the question of whether he's going to play every day, which for the Dodgers is a impossible to say right now. And then... Uh, the other real question for me is, can he hit lefties? He did a little bit in the minors last year, but it came with like a 400 BABIP. The one thing he did start doing last season for the first time against lefties was hit for some power. Uh, he struck out like 31% of the time, but he did have an ISO right around 200. That can play. When, when we're talking about left-handed batters, if you're really, really good against righties, you just have to be good enough against lefties to, to keep not your head an embarrassment, the wall. basically. Yeah, not good enough to not force your team to uh, to bench you, and that's that's a question with him. Over the last three seasons, he's hit 226 with a 292 on base and a 328 slugging uh, against left-handed pitching in the minors. So it's a significant question, but. The potential is obvious. Yes, it's it's kind of a question of how willing the Dodgers are to sacrifice development for the sake of winning now, because they have they have a roster full of platoon bats and Chris Taylor getting him at bats against lefties at second base. This seems like an obvious way to do that, but how invested are they in Lux? We kept hearing this offseason that. Teams kept asking for Lux and trades and Francisco Lindor trade and whatever else. And the Dodgers kept saying, no, it sounds like they're pretty committed to this guy, uh, which would mean playing him as regularly as possible, I would think. But it it does remain to be seen. I have noticed that Lux has been slipping in drafts. Like, yeah, people seem less eager to take him now, which I don't know. I don't know. I was never that eager to take him. So... I don't know that my opinion's changed. I'm just curious why it seems like the masses as a whole are, are, I think there were, are kind of cooling on him. I think there was an expectation uh, after the end of last season when he really was playing close to every day that he was just locked into an everyday role. And then as 
camp started, uh, it started to seem more likely that he was potentially being used, going to be used as a uh, platoon bat. I think that's where that came from. Yeah, so, but I. It would have been clear if they had traded Jock Peterson. They yeah. followed through on that because that would have uh, would have pretty much required Bellinger to be in the outfield all the time. But now that's, you know, Muncy can still play second sometimes. So yep. who knows? All right, third baseman Alec Baum. He's another guy drafted in that baseball prospectus prospects only draft. Um, started. I love Baum. I, I love Baum so much. You like him way more than anyone else because I think I took him in like the. I might have taken him in the fourth round in that one. And uh, yeah. And you have him as a top 12 overall prospect for coming into 2020. And the things you like about him, it starts with the bat control. He doesn't strike out very much. He's a really big dude, but he doesn't strike out much. And in 2019, he started to, to grow into the raw power a little bit. Raw, he's always been someone that they, they've liked the raw power not so much the end game yet, but he started to grow into that. Hit 21 homers and 475 at bats. Terrific plate discipline. He he was the third overall pick in 2018. Uh, that alone makes it confusing why he doesn't get more prospect hype. And I don't want to overstate it. I mean, Baseball America ranked him 28th overall. MLB.com 30th overall. It's it's not like he's it's not like he's not a top prospect, but. He, like for me, he's top ten. It's especially a top, given how close he is, especially given how safe the profile looks. He's a tough and, fantasy prospect though, because he doesn't have any speed to speak of, and he plays the right. deepest position on the field, third base. People hate when I make when I compare prospects to superstars because obviously the probability of them deve- any prospect developing into a superstar is is low. Fewer will, fewer won't do that than will, but. Picking and choosing which ones will is exceedingly difficult. So yes. I like to think in terms of upside. And I I could see Alec Baum blossoming into an Anthony Rendon type. Like That doesn't seem far-fetched to me. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Uh, uh, one I always think of when I talk about third baseman with uh, plus power and good plate discipline is Adrian Beltre. Yeah. You know, that's obviously, he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, but... Sure, yeah. sure. Uh, and then shortstop... Likely going to play at third base, Carter Keboom for the Washington Nationals. Expected to be their opening day third baseman. I don't know that everybody's being fair to hear fair to him either. Which isn't to say I'm drafting him everywhere. I'm not. But in leagues that go on long enough, like those 15 team roto leagues, I have been drafting him close to everywhere as a bench option. This is another guy consensus top 25 prospect overall who already is more or less assured the playing time and total disinterest. I, I imagine if he hadn't gotten called up last April yes, 100%. And, and looked so bad, that would obviously a rush job because Trey Turner got hurt. They, they, they delayed it for a while, but I just think they got, we're getting so little production. They figured what the heck he was terrible. Kiboom was last April, but it's, it's unfair to downgrade him based on that, especially since he went to, back to AAA and did the kinds of things he was supposed to do. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. If he hadn't been called up to the majors, there'd be a lot more hype around him. I'm I'm trying to figure out 
find where he went in that draft that I've been talking about. Um, but let's just move on to uh, Luis Robert. I don't think we need to talk too much about him. We know all about him. He's a top 100 pick in ADP right now. Carter Keboom, by the way, 324 in ADP. So going undrafted in your standard 12-team mixed league. Great value yep. there. Yep. Uh, Just Luis Robert, stash him away on your bench, see what happens. Yeah, Luis Robert, incredibly loud tools. Might be the kind of guy who it just doesn't matter if he uh, doesn't have great plate discipline. He could be, you know, the kind of guy who hits 300 even while striking out. And he doesn't strike out an irregular amount of time. You know, he 129 in about 550 plate appearances last season. The real thing is he just doesn't walk. Uh, I think he's had like a 5% walk rate for his minor league career. That's tougher because that that can get exposed when you're when you're that aggressive, that's where I think the concerns come from, right? Yeah, with we're still talking about Robert, right? Yes. Right. I I have I have concerns what what his batting average is going to look like this year. I have concerns like we talked about earlier whether he's going to be just a okay steel source or a big steel source his best case scenario is first round we're drafting him in the first round next year yeah so that's uh, that obviously factors in and that's that's why everybody should be willing to draft him at a point but i think his most like likely scenario is a batting average 250 or lower with pretty good to- home run total but um I wouldn't count on more than like 12 to 15 steals. Yeah, the steals are, are where I think if he's going to be a 25 steal guy, then the, the margin for error becomes a, a lot less slim. Then it's, it's a lot easier to see him becoming, even if he hits 250, even yeah. if he hits 240, if he steals 25 yeah. bases and hits I, 20 I shouldn't homers, say I shouldn't say most likely scenario is 250 or lower. Most likely scenario is probably like 260, but then there's downside for for less than that. Yeah, I mean, there's downside that he could be sent down. And that's true with any prospect. Sure, sure. Uh, Dylan Carlson, another guy who... Really good power-speed combination. We talked a little bit about him either yesterday... I think it was yesterday's podcast, Thursday's podcast. Uh, and the comparison we made if he played all the full season was uh, something like, like what Yasiel Puig did last season, which was a uh, batting average in the 265 range, 25-ish homers, 20-ish steals. Um, mm-hmm. And he was someone who might have been forcing his way into an everyday job uh, with his spring training. Yeah. It was still a long shot, but yeah, yeah. And that Yasiel Puig comp—that's that's kind of what I'm thinking as a likely hopeful scenario. I mean, best case is much higher than that. Carlson does seem like the sort of prospect who could just come up and take the league by storm. So he's. He, I think he's definitely shortened his timetable based on how he was looking in spring training, how he was, the, the kinds of things Cardinals leadership was saying about him. Uh, you know, if it doesn't work out for him, like if Tyler O'Neill sews things up in left field, finally, Dexter Fowler, there's not much left there and right. There's definitely a path for Carlson. And there, there's really not a lot of weaknesses in his, his game. I, even to like he's a switch hitter, so even if you're talking about handedness and platoon possibilities, yeah, you know, 
kind of the reason he broke out last year is he figured out how to hit from the left side of the plate. So he's he's a very well-rounded player. And then the last outfielder, Joe Adele, he's another guy who, if it weren't for injuries last season, he might have already gotten the call up. If it weren't for injuries last season, he might have he might be the Angels, uh, you know, opening day would it be right field? I guess. Um, but he did get hurt. He's gotten hurt a few times in the minors now, so we don't have a huge track record for him. Struggled with contact last season in AAA, but uh, didn't have that issue in the Arizona Fall League. And so, you know, that's a good sign. I think he's a guy who, in a normal season, would be up by May. Yeah, there's a good chance. He'll have to he'll have to show it at AAA. That's the thing. He yep. was just especially considering it was the PCL with the juiced balls and whatever else like that was a big disappointment the way he performed there the last month and a half or whatever it was so he'll have to he'll have to show it first but certainly he's one of those guys who's been considered an elite prospect from the day he was drafted so there's certainly a lot of confidence in him still despite that poor showing and then Nick Solak, who you like quite a bit as a uh, likely multi-eligible across-the-board kind of player. Uh, mm-hmm. 27 homers, 5 stolen bases last season in the minors. How high are you willing to draft Solak? He's a late pick, but he's a late pick I, I try to get with consistency. Part of the problem is he's DH only now, so... Like if you're if if you're talking about an auction scenario where you can't fill bench spots until you fill your lineup spots and you've already got Jordan Alvarez or Nelson Cruz, well you're just out of luck. Solak's yeah. probably going to be triple eligible by the time season's done, but he's DH only right now, so that's that's just the way it is. But uh, yeah, it's like uh, I, I don't know in the twenty to twenty five round range of a roto league with all those lineup spots to fill. Yeah, Solak is on quite a few teams of mine. All right, and let's move on to the best and worst picks from each round. We've gone through rounds one through nine already this week. Let's go 10 through 12 today. And so that means, I'm trying to do the math in my head, it means 109th overall is the first pick in this round. And this is a good round. I like this round. This round has a lot of players that you and I both like. You love Mitch Garver. I would imagine he's going to be one of your favorite picks. We both love Frankie Montas, uh, Miguel Sano, Zach Gallen. My favorites are Frankie Montas, Zach Allen, and Edwin Diaz. And, you know, my least favorite picks through a lot of the earlier rounds have been relievers. So this is one where uh, Edwin Diaz was the number one closer coming into last season. He had a terrible, terrible season, but I'm willing to take him at a 70-pick discount from Josh Hader because he could be just as good as Josh Hader. It's one of those gambles where we'll know pretty early on, right? Whether he's so. going to sink or swim. If if he has a dominant April, that's probably it. He's probably sewn up the job for the rest of the year at that point and is on a path to becoming a top five closer again. But if he gives up a couple home runs the first week of the season, like, yeah. he, they could remove him right then and it's over. But I, I like taking the chance at that price. I also like Michael Brantley at 120. Uh, but I would guess you and I both agree Frankie Montas is the best pick here. 
at 112 overall? Yeah. Yeah, so what what range what what range of picks are we looking at? 108 through 120. So we've got Andrew Benintendi, Michael Conforto, Mitch Garver, Frankie Montas, Wilson Contreras, Carlos Carrasco, Miguel Sano, Madison Bumgarner, Trey Mancini, obviously Trey mm-hmm. Mancini now, you know, right. up in the air. Uh, Zach Gallen, Edwin Diaz, and Michael Brantley. I'm surprised you. I'm surprised you didn't take Gallen. Don't you like Gallen more than Frankie Montas, or were you just putting on a show for us yesterday? No, no. For me, it was uh, Frankie Montas. Are it, my three picks? My columns up on CBSSports.com uh, slash fantasy slash baseball. You can also find it Twitter.com slash CBS or any fine uh, CBS Sports retailer. Uh, <laughs> And my three favorite picks were Gallon, Diaz, and Montas. You know, Gallon's okay. going six picks later than Montas. Not really a difference. I like, I like a lot of picks in this range, to yes. be honest. This, this is, is a good round. This is a part of the draft where I'm often torn which direction to go. If I already have my four starting pitchers, I'm probably passing up Frankie Montas and Zach Gallon here. If I don't, I'm absolutely taking them. That's priority number one. I have a lot of shares of Mitch Garver. Yep. He is probably the catcher I'm most invested in. He was by far and away the best on a per-game basis at the position last year. Maybe it was a fluke. It seems well worth the gamble at this point. If I'm looking to make up ground in power, Miguel Sano is, might be the first player I'm looking at here. I think he's one of the five players most likely to hit 50 home runs this year, and the others go well before this, especially if we're assuming Aaron Judge is if we're now assuming Aaron Judge is going to be healthy for opening day. So Sano is, seems like a really good pick here, too. Uh, and if I mention Garver, I should mention Wilson Contreras, too. I actually rank Contreras higher. Though <laughs> usually my cue to take Garver is when Grandal and Contreras go. So, Yeah, I think Montas and Gallon both have top 15 starting pitcher potential. Uh, the, only, the reason I like Gallon a little more is I'm more more sure he can do the workload than Montas. I actually don't know if Montas can do the workload. So that's the other thing to keep in mind. And uh, the, the worst picks in this range seem fairly obvious to me as well. And I can't imagine you'll disagree much with Madison Bumgarner and Andrew Benintendi. They're both on my bust list. Yep. So I do not disagree. And, uh, you know, don't really need to go too in-depth on that. But basically... Bumgarner has been really, really bad outside of San Francisco two years in a row now. Uh, basically, ever since that uh, dirt bike, dirt bike, the motocross accident. Ugh. Uh, here he is. Here he is corralling bulls in his spare that, time. That's one that's just like it's not. It's not hard to imagine the reaction to those stories being a lot different if it wasn't someone like Madison Bumgarner who has all the the World Series and the clutch. And all and the fiery competitor, you know, if, yeah. it, was, if it was a different player, yeah. that would be viewed a lot differently. But if he was regarded as a notorious like choker, yeah. like if it, like if it was Clayton Kershaw, if it was Carlos Beltran, <laughs> you know. So yeah, uh, Beltran's considered clutch, right? I th- I think the 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 strikeout looking against Adam Wainwright to end the NLCS. Uh, is a bigger part of people's memories than the the Houston Astros playoff run. Okay. The first I, Houston I, Astros playoff run. I definitely go to the Houston Astros playoff run when I think about 
when was that? What year was that? The year? Oh, five, wasn't it? Or oh, four? Or oh, four, because that's who, isn't that who the Red Sox beat in? Yeah. Uh... Oh, oh, no, yeah, it was oh, it was oh, five. Ah, I can't remember now. No, the. Oh, five was the White Sox. White so Sox awful. against two, though. The Astros, right? Honestly, I have no memories of the 2005 World Series. That was right during Hurricane Wilma. We lost power. Uh-huh. Uh, so I have yes. no memory. Like, literally zero okay. memory of that World Series. I could not okay. tell you. It was 05. Because okay. I remember rookie Brian McCann hit a big home run in that series against the Astros. Oh, uh, yeah. They had that, that, like, 20, that would have been 05. They had that like 20 game, 20 inning game between the Braves and Astros that year, right? Uh, well, well, let's move that, on to round 11. That's a difficult memory. <laughs> my, favorite, my favorite picks around 11, Kevin Biggio and Jesus Lazardo. They both have huge question marks. Uh, Kevin Biggio, it's about the contact rate and the strikeout rate. Uh, Lazardo, it's just about staying healthy. If, if Lazardo stays healthy, I think he's going to be a really, really good fantasy pitcher right away. Uh, it's a question of how much he's going to pitch and a question of how long he can stay healthy. But when he's on the mound, I think he will be one of the 20 best pitchers in fantasy. Kevin Biggio, I think he needs... I think he needs to follow the Yuan Moncada path, and I think he needs to be a more aggressive hitter. He had one of the low, I think the lowest or the second lowest swing rate in baseball last season, but there's speed, there's power, there's the potential for a really good lineup. Uh, so both of those guys I love betting on in, in the round 11 range. And uh, let's just go through the rest of the players in this range before you give your take. Ken Giles, Eduardo Rodriguez, Denelson Lamette, Hyunjin Ryu, Carlos Santana, Kevin Biggio, Lance Lynn, Max Kepler, Shohei Otani, Max Fried, Jesus Lazardo, and Yuli Gurriel. Who's your favorite pick in this range? My favorite pick of this group is probably Lance Lynn. Oh, that's boring. Is it? Pick someone young. <laughs> Lance Lynn's old enough to be your dad. The thing is, I don't think Lance L- Lynn is boring at all. He's not old enough to be my dad. He's probably He's the same three age years as younger you. than me. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. He's old enough to be my dad. Okay, and that's not true either. But okay, <laughs> he had two hundred forty-six strikeouts last year. It's a lot of strikeouts. It's <laughs> a crazy number of strikeouts. Like, and I understand it kind of came out of nowhere, but it feels like. Uh, technically, technically, Matthew Boyd is probably the last chance for an elite strikeout total. I'm not talking rate, but elite strikeout total. Yeah, I mean, Boyd is like four rounds after this, I think. Yeah, but Lance Lynn, among those that don't have huge performance concerns like Boyd does with all the home runs, is uh, among the 37, which is now 36 because for sale is out. So among the 36, Lance Lynn is... That's kind of your last chance to grab one. So even if I have four, I'm really tempted to take Lance Lynn here because that's where I see the teardrop. There aren't many picks in this range that I don't like, and it, it gets harder to do picks you don't like as you get later in the draft because the risk is a lot lower. I I haven't drafted Denelson Lamette. He kind of seems like a Chris Towers type of pitcher, but I just, I've been burned by the, 
the two pitch righty before. And mm-hmm. uh, I just I think he's going to struggle keeping the ball in the yard too much to uh, to ever live up to the kind of expectations people have here. There are plenty of pitchers going behind him who I like more. Uh, that's probably in this range the pick that I, I like the least. What about you? I have yet to draft him. Mm-hmm. So I would agree. Like if if I'm saying Lance Lynn is the end of the of a tier, I'm not really looking to draft from the next tier you know as soon as that previous tier depletes so i like lamette in theory i like max freed in theory i've talked about max freed a lot as a breakout candidate both of these two are in my breakout candidates column i've yet to draft either of them just because i I feel like other people in the draft are presuming something that i'm just hopeful for Mm All right, let's move on to round 12 to finish off today's version of this. And that starts with Danny Santana, Rysel Iglesias, Fran Mil Reyes, Corey Seager, Tommy Edmond and Craig Kimbrell, Kyle Hendricks, Oscar Mercado, Brandon Workman, David Dahl, Hector Neris, Kyle Schwarber, and David Price. No, it ends with Kyle Schwarber. Excuse me. David Price is my favorite for the 15th round, or the 13th round, so... We'll get to uh, that on Monday. We'll get to that presumably. soon, yes. But my yes. favorite picks in this round are in the 12th round are going back-to-back, back, 135th and 136th overall. I love Fran Mil Reyes, and I love Corey Seager. Uh, we've talked a ton about Corey Seager. I don't know how much more we need to talk about him this offseason, but basically he got off to a miserable start, was really bad in April, like a sub-650 OPS. And basically from that point on, he hit like the Corey Seager we've come to expect. 290 batting average range, uh, 25 to 30 homer pace, ton of runs, ton of RBIs. And uh, I think there's room to grow from there. He still needs to optimize his launch angle. You know, he still hits a few more, few too many balls on the ground uh, to really get tap into his power. But I don't think people realize like Corey Seager's six foot four. And he's like 220 pounds. He's a giant dude. He's like the same size as a guy like Freddie Freeman. And if you compare what they've done through their age 25 seasons, it's very similar to Freddie Freeman. Corey Seager was actually better. And, you know, that age 26 season is when Freddie Freeman stopped hitting the ball on the ground so much, started hitting the ball in the air, and turned that raw power into actual in-game production. It's not a guarantee Corey Seager does it, but the upside is so high in the 12th round that, it wouldn't shock me if we're talking about him as a top 40 pick next year. It's a miracle he's going this late. Yeah. Based on how, I mean, I'm sure he wouldn't see it that way because he's he's had it, it he's had a tough path to get yeah. here. But based on where he was going just a couple years ago, if you had told me you'd be able to get him in the round 10 through 12 range, like I, I just wouldn't believe it. I mean, this was a rising star on the level of like Francisco Lindor. And this is a must. This is a must. I usually when I haven't gotten him here, it's just because you've beaten me to him. I, if if it's to fill a utility spot, not to even shortstop, it's something I'm looking to do. Yeah, and part of the issue is, especially in a points league, it just gets really hard to take a shortstop this late because mm-hmm. it usually means so many shortstops have gone off the board. It usually means you're using your utility spot, and that's yeah. where it gets difficult. But in a in a roto league, and that's what these ADPs are based off of, is roto leagues around the industry. You know, Corey Seager as your as your middle infielder, 
It feels yeah. like a cheat code. And then but I'm, I, I'm saying I'm willing to do it for the utility yeah, spot because I think, I think the upside is that high. And so then, I agree. He's to me, he's the clear favorite among this group. In fact, I usually end up taking him before it even gets to this group, just because I don't want to risk missing him. Yeah. And then Fred Reyes, like I said, he's another one of my favorites. It's he feels like he's still a work in progress, and he hit 37 home runs in you know slightly less than full time playing playing time last season. That tells you how high the upside is, at least in my eyes. You know, I think a lot of people in the industry probably think he's pretty close to his ceiling, but you know, if he shaves off a couple points from his strikeout rate, he's got raw power to match basically anyone in the league. You know, his average exit mm-hmm. velocity is elite. It's in that. Yeah. You know, it's it's not quite the the prime Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Judge range, but it's th- that tier below. Uh, right. Hits the ball incredibly hard. Yeah, he strikes if, out a if, lot, 28%, but it's not Joey Gallo range. And um, it, If you know, there are five players, like I was saying earlier, with the potential to hit 50-plus home runs, he might be number six. Yeah, I mean, he had the 10th highest uh, home run to at-bat ratio of any player in baseball. And, you know, that obviously counts strikeouts. He does strike out a lot, but... If he could, if he could manage to get that strikeout rate to the two fifty or the twenty five percent range, I think you're looking at the potential for a two seventy hitter with forty five home runs. Uh, yeah, I really like that's not that different. My expectations for Fran Mill Reyes aren't that different from, I think, what most people are expecting for Matt Olson. Ooh, Matt Olson. I may be underestimating how many players can do that. I keep thinking of more. <laughs> 50 potential 50 it's, homer it's, guys well there's like potential and then there's like realistic potential like right Fran Mill Reyes has the potential to do it but like he needs to hit the ball in the air more he needs to strike yeah. out less there you know like I, he had 37 home runs last yeah. year and that was with him not all not always playing every day yeah and and but then you have like Giancarlo Stanton has done it before Aaron Judge has done yeah. it before Pete Alonso has yeah. done it before. Miguel Sano was on pace for it last year. Those guys don't need to improve to get there. Fran Mill Reyes needs to improve to get there. I think Matt Olson right. probably needs to improve to get there. Although he was on a yeah. pretty close pace last year, I guess. And then, But then you got a guy like Jorge Soler at 48 last yeah. year. Yes. Eugenio Suarez hit 49, right? For, I, I, I put Suarez behind those others. Like, that's... I don't. He doesn't impact the ball as hard as those other guys, right? No. Am I making that up? No, I, I think that's true. Yeah. So I. That's the one I'm most skeptical of. But that's that's kind of the group. So the point I'm getting at when we're talking about draft order is, if if you are at this point in the draft, and twelfth round, you feel like you've neglected home runs. Reyes becomes a high priority for you. Yep. Yeah. Very I think- high priority. You know, if you went steals and pitching early in your draft, which if you listen to Scott White, that's what you're going to do. Going back to back in the 10th and 11th rounds with Miguel Sano and Fran Mel Reyes, there are worse ways to make up ground than, than going with those two guys because they might hit 90 home runs between them. Yep. All right, Absolutely. so we'll, we'll continue that series next week, rounds 13 through 15, likely coming Monday. 
Let's finish off the show with some of your emails. Fantasybaseball at cbsi.com is the way to get your emails on the show. Send them in. We, we've, we're, we're trying to come up with content. Your emails help. They uh, do. James Talked a lot about Chef Boyardee and Velveeta the last couple days. Oh, and, and there's an email coming. Okay. James in Atlanta. How's that for a tease? James in <laughs> Atlanta writes in, Hey, Paxton, Bond, and McCann. Uh, he didn't include Heath because he's too good for baseball. Now, I want to, like, Heath is, Heath is spending his time on football now. He's not too good for baseball. We're just trying to allocate our resources as best we can. I understand you're disappointed that Heath's not here. But look, I'm here. Scott's here. Isn't that enough, guys? <laughs> it's right, never anyway. enough, Chris. Anyway, Dynasty Points League. Who would you choose between Joe Adele and Dylan Carlson, two of your all-rookie players? Scott, who is it? Joe Adele or Dylan Carlson? Uh, I, I mean, like Joe he- Adele is the higher-rated prospect. But by... Uh, I am... This may be recency bias, but I, I'm kind of feeling Carlson here, especially with the points format. It just seems like the plate discipline is going to be good for him, and like you'll, it, it just seems like there's less of a chance that you're going to, to really have wasted that pick. Like, I, not that I think Joe Adele's going to collapse or anything, but I, I feel like Dylan Carlson's right there, and Adele still has something to prove. So I'm kind of leaning Carlson right now. All right. Recency bias for sure. Josiah writes in, most of my picks are in the second half of the draft due to trading away top picks during his 2019 championship run. Congratulations on your championship. How should this affect my draft strategy? I mean, I think it kind of depends on what your plan for 2020 is. If you don't have, you know, presuming this is a keeper league, yeah, if you don't have like multiple superstars already to to round out your roster, I think you're probably focusing on young guys with upside, and just sort of punting on 2020 a little bit. That's probably the the right way to go. Now, if you do have uh, multiple stars, then I think you're gonna do a bit more of a mix. You're gonna look for uh, some of the the more boring veteran options who can who can maybe fill in your roster. And you still, you're still going to need upside because you're not going to have those first-round picks. So you're going to need a couple of guys, if you want to compete in 2020, who are going to make that leap into that first-round range. And so, you know, we talked about some guys in that 12 to 10 to 12 range uh, who could be that, you know, Corey Seager, Frenmil Reyes, Miguel Sano. Um, but it's a, you know, I, I think you're probably punting a little bit on 2020 here. Yeah, that makes sense. It would definitely depend on what you already had because how, like, what round compared to a redraft league, what round is your league starting in, relatively speaking? Because there comes a point in a draft where you're, it, it really, where like a, a, I don't know, a 15th round pick versus a 12th round pick what's the difference even like a like i guess what i'm trying to say is there's there's less bankable the later you get in a draft the fewer the bankable options are anyway Mm -hmm. so like you shouldn't necessarily give up on this year if you already have a good talent base but if you're if everybody else gets like 10 rounds to pick and you're not picking until round 11 uh, you just have no chance if, if you're starting from scratch you know yeah 
All right, we got an email from Samson, collaboration of the year, inspired by Thursday's conversation. Sweet Boy Tart D, a sweet tart filled ravioli with red sauce. Uh, that wouldn't work. Mm. Sweet tarts are, are very hard. And uh, I don't know how you would fill ravioli with them. The ravioli would have weird lumps. Unless you're have saying you ever you had... pulverize them. And then you're just have talking you ever about had... pixie sticks. The chewy sweet tarts? I, of course I have, Scott. Are, I have, are they big? Uh, they are... Or are they not big? They're about the circumference of a nickel, and then maybe like three nickels stacked on top of each other. Yeah. I want to say I remember the chewy ones being awesome, but I was very young when I had one of those. I can't even be confident it was a sweet tart. You but might, like as a general rule, of a chewy candy's better than hard. Are you thinking of a shock tart? I'm not. This was pre-shock tarts. Okay. This was like, like I'm really digging deep here, like three, <laughs> four years old, and just <laughs> having this divine experience with a chewy sweet tart. Wow, I don't even remember them having those, but I, I do love, yes, I, I love... My, my wife criticizes me all the time for my weird taste in candy, but I just, I love any kind of fruit candy. Not so much on the mm. chocolate, but the fruit candies. Mm. Love them. Last email. Randy in Miami. There has, been a, there has been a ton of talk about the effect of shortened season on injured and aging players. However, he hasn't heard much about how the rookies who are hoping for early season call-ups may be affected. Are the service time rules affected by the shortened season, or do the dates remain the same? And we talked a little bit about that earlier in the podcast, but just to kind of wrap it up, they're negotiating that right now, so we don't have a hard answer. Um, but I think it would be fair to assume that, you know, if there's a shortened season, the, the days of service time would be shortened to the same degree. And so if there's a 150-day season, you know, maybe it's a month until the Super 2 deadline rather than you know, a month and a half or whatever it typically is. Does that make sense to you, Scott? Yes, it would be less, but does that really raise their value when it's also a smaller Yeah, I don't think it I don't think that, that would contribute their value. Yeah. I don't so. know. These are these are questions that need to be sorted out still. Yeah, hopefully we'll find that out soon and then we can have a, a bit of a clearer picture, but you know, unfortunately, we won't know if there will be a shortened season for a while anyway. So, so that's, you know, one of the things that we're dealing with right now is just the, the uncertainty of when the season will begin and, and how long it's going to be. So, you know, all we can do is the best with the information we have right now and, uh, you know, keep listening to Fantasy Baseball today and we'll update you whenever we find out. So uh, thanks so much for listening. Scott, thanks for being here. Thank Adam, you for putting this together, Chris. Adam. We'll see you next time, I guess. And I that'll guess. do it for the Fantasy Baseball. Yeah, I mean, we'll see him next time. That'll do it for the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast. I'm Chris Towers for Scott White. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.